Welcome back to Instrumental. My name's Bria, and I'm your host who happens to be a music therapist and is also a music psychology nerd, which is what this podcast is all about. In today's episode, I'm demystifying the Mozart effect what it is, what it is not, and reviewing a whole bunch of research studies that have been done into this topic. Spoiler alert, the Mozart effect is totally overhyped. But at the end of this episode, I'm going to share one musical activity that might actually have long-term sustained benefits to cognitive development. Keep listening to learn what it is. Today I'm doing an episode that I'm calling That's Not a Thing, which is meant to dispel music psychology myths and misconceptions. Kind of like the TV show that busts myths, but I'm pretty sure that term is copyrighted, so I give you That's Not a Thing. Today's episode is about the Mozart effect and how it's been very misunderstood over the last 25 years. When I tell people I'm a music therapist, a handful of them will perk up and relate my job somehow with the Mozart effect, and it's always an interesting conversation for me to politely explain that the Mozart effect doesn't really have anything to do with my job. One of the first times I had this discussion was back in the day when my side hustle was nannying, which can actually be a pretty sweet gig if you enjoy, if you enjoy hanging out with kids like I do. Of course, all the families I worked for wanted the best for their children, and I remember one family in particular where both parents were musicians and really believed in the developmental benefits of music, which totally is a thing. I'm totally behind incorporating lots of music for little itsy-bitsies to help their brain develop. One way these parents were trying to incorporate music into their child's life, though, was very impacted by their understanding of the Mozart effect. Specifically, they had a radio turned to a classical music station in their child's nursery 24 hours a day. The volume wasn't overly loud or anything, but anytime the baby was in there, they were hearing classical music while they were sleeping and playing and nursing. The parents had heard of the Mozart effect, and while they didn't know the specifics of how it worked or the research behind it, they thought that they were increasing the likelihood that their child would be more intelligent and successful academically through musical osmosis. Were these well-meaning parents completely off the mark? Not that playing classical music for developing infants is harmful, but a lot of research has been done that's led to the Mozart effect being pretty much debunked. Unfortunately, even though I thought this issue was dead, there are still some people out there misapplying this term, including a recent BBC article that proclaimed that police dogs in Madrid were getting, air quotes, very big air quotes here, Mozart effect music therapy. (sighs) Just to clarify, it's not that I don't think that animals respond to music, they do, maybe even to the animal's benefit, but because we don't yet know about how animals down to individual species perceive and are impacted by music, we cannot call that music therapy. Music therapy is an evidence-based healthcare profession, not just putting on some background music at a dog kennel. Okay, I'm putting the soapbox away. 
Getting back to the Mozart effect, though, research studies continue to come out looking at the Mozart effect that go way beyond what the original results indicated. This idea that there's some magical quality with amazing health benefits when listening to Mozart's compositions or other classical composers has stuck around. When I was researching this episode, I was actually impressed by the sheer number of studies that look at the Mozart effect. And before we get into reviewing a handful of those studies, we have to talk about this really important idea of replication. In science, any one study's findings and conclusions can't be taken as truth or fact or whatever approximation of those facts that we're stumbling towards. Instead, a phenomenon or a study's findings have to hold up across multiple testing experiments, and the same results need to be found under different conditions, across multiple samples of participants, and by different research teams to be taken as a credible idea. Unfortunately, there's often more academic reward given to researchers who are doing something new and exciting. Replication studies, where you're pretty much copying what someone else did before, don't happen as often as they should because they might not seem as intellectually exciting, even though these types of studies are super important to scientific integrity. Anyways, when I was researching this episode, I was happy to find plenty of studies looking at the Mozart effect from different perspectives which is how the scientific process is supposed to work, so yay for that. But going back to the very first study on the Mozart effect, how did this whole thing get blown out of proportion? The evidence for the Mozart effect comes from a set of research studies done by a research team led by Francis Rauscher, the first of which came out in 1993. The team recruited a bunch of undergrads and had them listen to one of three auditory conditions. The first was about 10 minutes of listening to a Mozart piano sonata. The second was listening to spoken relaxation instructions. Or the third was just silence. Here's a really short clip of the infamous sonata, specifically the first movement of Mozart piano sonata for two pianos in D major, K448, just in case you were curious. Let's take a listen. Now, that was just about 60 seconds, but are you feeling smarter already? And immediately after hearing this music, or after about 10 minutes of listening to either relaxation instructions or just sitting in silence, participants completed a subtest of the Stanford-Binet IQ test that targets spatial reasoning skills. 
The task involved looking at a diagram of a piece of paper being folded and cut in different ways, and then people had to choose one of the five pictures of what they thought the paper would look like if it was unfolded. Definitely check out the show notes at our website, instrumentalpodcast.com, for a picture of what one of the test questions might have looked like. According to Rauscher studies, people who listened to the Mozart music condition had an increase of 8 to 9 IQ points on this spatial subtest for about 10 to 15 minutes after hearing the music. The researchers thought this happened because the music might have primed or woken up the neurons that are used for spatial reasoning. Also, the researchers always emphasized that this newly found Mozart effect only applied to spatial tests and was only short-term. They didn't promise that these results were going to last forever. And that's it. Rauscher and the original research team never claimed that listening to Mozart or the Mozart effect makes you generally or permanently smarter, which is how it's been misconstrued by the popular media at times. These results got published in the journal Nature, which is one of the most prestigious scientific journals out there, and these findings got a lot of attention. The first problem, though, is that people went on to really overgeneralize these initial findings, which leads us to debunking the myth that listening to Mozart makes you smarter, or that children who listen to classical music will have a better developed brain. The media gave this idea a lot of attention, because who wouldn't want to make their baby smarter by just hitting play on a stereo? At one point, the governor of Georgia sent home a classical music CD with every baby born in the state. That's how far of a reach this misconception about the Mozart effect has had. And today, there are lots of products that still play into this idea that classical music could help you mentally, including books, and there's a whole line of baby Mozart CDs and videos and toys. And while these products can be helpful in exposing young children to new types of music, which is a good thing, they're marketed on flawed evidence and promise results to hopeful parents that can't necessarily be delivered on. So problem number one with the Mozart effect is that the first few studies' findings got totally misinterpreted and overgeneralized. A second problem is that when other researchers have tried to replicate Rauscher's original results, there have been a lot of mixed findings. That's why the process of replication in the scientific community is so important. There's always a chance that any one study's findings could have been a fluke. So other researchers set out to compare the Mozart effect music listening condition with other control conditions. Maybe there's some kind of third variable that could help explain the Mozart effect. Instead of listening to a piece of music with magical qualities, maybe the act of listening to the music got the participants into a better mood state or made them more alert, which is the mediating response that actually explains the better spatial task scores. If some studies include a control condition that also taps into this potential third variable that's actually responsible for the improvements on the tests, then there would be no difference between the scores of participants who listened to the music or who were in another control condition. So what hypotheses were tested? Some researchers thought the Mozart effect may be a product of your preferences, Maybe the change in cognition was actually because you had an enjoyable experience auditorily, which in turn made you perform better on the spatial test. 
One study led by Nante found the Mozart effect disappeared when the control condition was a group of people who listened to a short narrated story. Whether participants reported liking the music or the story more was enough to predict whether their spatial test scores were higher. Nante's research lab concluded that people performed better after listening to whatever auditory condition they preferred, either the music or the story. Other researchers thought the Mozart effect could be explained by an increase in participants' mood or arousal levels. It could be that listening to a certain piece of music puts you in a more positive emotional state and makes you feel more energized that bumps up your spatial performance. A study led by Thompson compared the Mozart sonata that was pretty pleasant and energetic sounding to an Al Benoni piece that was slow and sad. Here's a quick clip. different from the Mozart piano sonata we heard earlier, right? This time, the researchers measured listeners' spatial scores, but also people's enjoyment, arousal, and mood scores after listening to either piece of music. Participants who listened to Mozart initially appeared to have higher spatial test scores, but this group also reported that the music they heard put them in a better mood and made them feel more aroused compared with participants who heard the Albinoni piece we just heard. But once these scores for enjoyment, arousal, and mood were controlled for, there was no advantage to listening to Mozart. Thompson and colleagues concluded that it's not listening to music by itself, but instead the Mozart effect may be a product of your mood and arousal levels, which are mediated by neurotransmitters in your body like dopamine and norepinephrine. Maybe the increase in these chemicals in your body when listening to certain pieces of music explains the better spatial test scores. Granted, these are just quick summaries of a few replication studies regarding the Mozart effect, and lots of researchers have done studies trying to replicate Rauscher's results by following the original method with the same music, the same test, the same conditions, and still don't find a consistent improvement in spatial reasoning skills. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to cover all of these studies, but long story short, there are a lot of conflicting results out there. Some researchers find a Mozart effect, others don't, and there are lots of possible explanations put out by researchers to explain this lack of a cohesive impact. In order to understand whether the Mozart effect holds up consistently over studies, Pietschnig and colleagues did a meta-analysis, which is a type of study that analyzes the combined data from lots of different studies to see if the Mozart effect holds up. This meta-analysis was done in 2010 and included over 40 studies that altogether analyzed the data of over 3,000 participants who took part in some kind of Mozart effect study. What did the meta-analysis find? Unfortunately, the researchers concluded that there's little evidence for a specific Mozart effect. All that data did find was a small, positive improvement on spatial reasoning scores after listening to the K448 Mozart Sonata compared to participants who only listened to silence. 
But about the same positive effect was also found for participants who listened to other types of music, like some studies used popular music or modern minimalist music as control conditions. This meta-analysis suggests that all these other types of music, when compared to just listening to silence, can have a similar impact on spatial reasoning. It could be that listening to music, not just a specific Mozart sonata, increases listeners' arousal levels, which in turn makes them more alert and more likely to score higher on a spatial test. Similar to many of the other studies we've reviewed, these meta-analysis researchers concluded that the overall impact of any Mozart effect was inflated from the original results and doesn't consistently hold up across multiple experiments done by different scientists. A lot of research on the Mozart effect happened in the 1990s and early aughts, or early 2000s, whatever we're calling that decade. All this research led to the Mozart effect being pretty much debunked. Listening to classical music will not make you smarter. If anything, after listening to Mozart or many other types of music, your spatial reasoning may get a smidge better and it'll last for about 10 minutes. But it's pretty easy to understand how the Mozart effect got so popular and overhyped, right? It was thought to be this fast, easy way to change how smart someone was. But just listening to music is a pretty passive activity. And I do want to be clear that exposing yourself or your children to a more diverse music listening menu is a good thing in and of itself. Please, please don't think I'm hating on listening to classical music. But expecting that passive listening is going to change your brain or your cognitive abilities is not going to pan out. It's like a get-smart-quick scheme through music. It doesn't really work. As a music therapist, the Mozart effect is a really tricky area to talk about. On the one hand, hearing about the Mozart effect was some people's first exposure to the idea that music can have a really beneficial impact on your health, and I don't want to squash the idea that music can be a beneficial tool to improving people's emotional, cognitive, or physical health. That's pretty much what music therapy is all about. But still, the research we reviewed today does not endorse the Mozart effect itself. How can I still implement this research or what I learn about this from this research? into how I do music therapy. One way is that I can take advantage of the fact that listening to music can help my clients get cognitively oriented. Most of my clinical work has been with older adults in memory care, and sometimes I'll walk into a session with a group of older adults, and they haven't had much stimulation yet in their day. It's common to find my clients have spent most of their time watching TV instead of activities that are more cognitively engaging. And my music therapy session is not going to fly if I come in and just start playing live guitar or trying to facilitate a discussion without setting up the right environment or mental space first. If I don't match my client's energy or state of mind, then my interventions are not going to be as effective or engaging. So I might turn on some recorded music to play in the background while I set up my instruments and greet participants individually. 
the immediate benefits of passive music listening might increase my client's alertness and attention and prepare them to engage with me when I lead more active and challenging music interventions like group drumming or a musical reminiscence discussion. So the Mozart effect isn't a thing. What can the average music consumer learn from this? I think one of the biggest takeaways is if you want to improve your cognitive skills, passive music listening is not going to cut it. That doesn't mean that music can't still have a positive effect on your working memory or other areas of cognition. It just takes a more active involvement on your part. How about taking the plunge and learning a new musical instrument? That is one of the most effective, more permanent ways that you can increase your mental acuity because learning a new instrument takes the coordination of a lot of different skills. There are dozens of studies that show a positive relationship between musical training and more efficient cognitive processing. When you're playing an instrument, you're listening to auditory patterns and reading music and moving your fingers in complicated ways and monitoring the musical environment in real time. All those parts of your brain are coordinating all this simultaneously, and it creates this really rich opportunity for your brain to work out and make new connections. Some studies indicate that people who take music lessons as children, even if they don't play music during their adult lives, can reap these cognitive benefits, like better working memory, even into older adulthood. But it's never too late to take up those piano lessons you quit as a kid, or even learning a new instrument that you've always wanted to play. There's evidence by music education researcher Jennifer Bugis that older adults who have never played piano can improve their scores on cognitive tests after taking intensive piano lessons. So in conclusion, the original results of the Mozart effect were blown way out of proportion and has not held up to replication. But when we're actively involved in processing and interacting with music, there's a better chance of tapping into those long-term cognitive benefits. Thanks for listening. Instrumental is written and hosted by me, Bria Murakami, and our intro music was composed by Daniel Goldschmidt. You can check out more info on every episode at our website, instrumentalpodcast.com, or follow us on Twitter at at instrumentalpod. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share. We'll see you next time. Thank you.